Before you start listening to this podcast, we've got a special subscription offer. You can get 12 issues of The Spectator for £12, which will give you full access to everything on our website. And we'll also throw in a free £20 Amazon voucher. Just go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher if you'd like to get this offer. Welcome to Holy Smoke, the Spectator's religion podcast. I'm Damien Thompson. Today's Holy Smoke episode is one that I've been looking forward to very much. It's a subject very close to my heart. I'm trying the experiment of doing it without any notes. See if I can do it in one take. It's about Beethoven, my favourite subject. And of course it's his 250th anniversary this year. And it's about a particular movement, a particular piece of music he wrote. It's the slow movement of his string quartet, Opus 132 in A minor. One of the string quartets he wrote at the end of his life, five string quartets that contain his most intimate and profound thoughts. And this movement in particular is special because it is a beautiful molto adagio, very, very slow movement, broken up by quicker, optimistic episodes. But it's headed a hymn of thanksgiving to the divinity from a convalescent in the Lydian mode, and I'll explain the Lydian mode later. But it's music written by a man who's been very ill and is enjoying a period of recovery and is thanking God for his recovery. So it's a piece of music that means a lot to me. It's a piece of music, one of the two or three pieces of music that I would go to if I was looking for consolation, and I do go to it quite often. But there's something else lovely about this episode of Holy Smoke, and it's no credit to me. It's credit to my amazing friend Keith Stanfield and his string quartet in Kansas City, the Opus 76 string quartet, because I was planning to do a talk on this string quartet and illustrate it with an old recording, and then Keith said, we'll play it for you. And so he and the other members of the Opus 76 string quartet based in Kansas, rushed off to a church just before it closed and they played this incredibly beautiful, nearly 20-minute slow movement for us, for this podcast. And they played it absolutely beautifully. And at the end of the programme, you can hear it. Well, we're not going to play it right, you know, all 20 minutes of it in the podcast, but there'll be a link to it on the Spectator website. And there's video so you can see them doing it. And actually, at the end of the podcast, Keith says, that wasn't bad in the middle of a pandemic. And he's right. It's not bad. It's actually a really, really beautiful performance. And one little detail I have to mention, which is that um, Keith, I think, is the only string quartet player in the world who has played football in a World Cup qualifying match for Western Samoa, because his mother comes from Western Samoa, but he grew up in London, and I knew him through Catholic circles. So, what is special about this hymn of thanksgiving to the divinity or the Godhead? It's not quite clear how to translate it. Well, first of all, it is an absolutely beautiful piece of music. That doesn't really do justice to it. It's a piece of music which combines dignity, intimacy, joy, and suffering. 
And this is one of the things that is truly remarkable about Beethoven, in addition to his purely musical achievements. And that's Beethoven's achievements, his battle and conquest over suffering as a human being. Because I think that even if Beethoven had been a bad composer, he would have been really one of the most remarkable human beings who ever lived. A man afflicted with deafness, who decided to meet the challenge of his deafness by carrying on composing music that increasingly he couldn't hear. And by the time he wrote this piece of music in, now I'm having to guess, but 1822, let's say, he really was profoundly deaf. He could probably hear a little bit. So I suppose it's not the easiest piece of music to appreciate the first time you hear it. But then actually nothing in late Beethoven is, because it's as if you have to get yourself into the particular rhythm of late Beethoven. You have to attune your thoughts to his own sensibilities, his own, sounds a bit pretentious, but penetration of, of a different sound world. A sound world that existed, of course, in his head rather than in his ears. But my response to this music is that perhaps the sublime last works of Beethoven, the last piano sonatas, and above all the last five string quartets, written right at the end of his life, offer a sort of spiritual consolation that I think really is only offered by one other composer in my opinion, and that is Anton Bruckner in the slow movements of his symphonies. It's a working through of the problems that confront us in daily life. It's an acknowledgement of fear and suffering and a hard-won and somewhat tentative victory over them. And you can hear it in the music. Great, long, serene lines, melodies that are not instantly easy to follow, but as you listen to it more and more, they, they sort of settle in. Your heartbeat moves in synchronicity with them. And this is true, I think, of both the Beethoven adagios and, and the Bruckner adagios. So this piece is an example. I said at the beginning that Beethoven wrote it in the Lydian mode, or rather he said it because he marked it on the manuscript. Well, the Lydian mode was used by the medieval church and polyphonic composers. So it sounds a bit different. It's a different scale. You just have a vague feeling that this is a, this is a, you know, that the musical language has been slightly adjusted so that different notes crop up where you would expect a more conventional note. Maybe it has a slightly Eastern flavour. Maybe you might think it has a medieval flavour. It's quite austere. And the background to this is that Beethoven was a deeply religious man. He was born Catholic, he died Catholic, he, he received the sacrament on his deathbed. But he wasn't a churchgoer, and he was very interested in Eastern religions, very interested in philosophy, he was a very clever man. And as he got older, he became more and more interested in the musical heritage of the Catholic Church, because he knew plenty of Catholics, and he knew a cardinal, and he was very familiar with the liturgy of the Church. So, for example, when he was writing his Missa Solemnis, he went back to the text of the Mass, and he read it very, very carefully to try and express the words of the Mass directly in the music. And he probably did that with far greater care than you know, almost any other composer since the great high point of church polyphony in the 16th century. 
And we don't normally think of Beethoven in those terms, but I think to an extent secular society has encouraged us to think of Beethoven as a very secular figure. Now, in a moment, I'm going to be talking to Keith Stanfield about this subject and about the quartet. He knows far more about it than I do because he plays it, and it's a very, very difficult piece to play. Apart from anything else, playing those slow, endlessly sustained chords smoothly and making a beautiful sound is not easy. And then, as Keith was saying to me, there are these wonderful little filigree arabesques and trills. He has to play them as the first violin. By the way, the, the viola player is very brilliant and award-winning viola player, Ashley Stanfield. She's Keith's wife. She became a Catholic when she married him, and I was privileged to be at the wedding in the oratory. And the other two members, Zolt Edda and Ashley Groschen, are equally distinguished. So these are four you know, pretty young musicians who are really making a name for themselves and doing all sorts of interesting things. So, for example, at the moment, it being the run-up to Easter, they're performing The Seven Last Words from the Cross by Joseph Haydn, and they've invited priests to preach a sermon attached to each of these last words. So it's a sort of spiritual exercise. So this is difficult music to play. It's slightly challenging to listen to, and the rewards come from repeated listening. And it's a heritage that in a way has been lost, even though there's a tremendous interest and attention on those last key five quartets of Beethoven. And the heritage that's been lost, I think, in, in a way, is the spiritual dimension. And that perhaps just as Beethoven went back to polyphonic music to discover, to renew his spiritual roots, if we go back to this music and remember as we're listening to it, you don't have to believe anything yourself, but remember that this is the music of a profoundly religious man, then I think that deepens your perception. And the same is true of Bruckner as well. Bruckner's the one you know, very important composer. Well, there's more than one, but he's the paramount example of a devoutly Catholic composer in the late 19th century. We're really very lucky indeed to have a lovely performance of the entire movement on the Spectator website for you. And now I'm going to talk to Keith for a bit about the tremendous kindness they did in recording this for Holy Smoke and what the music means to him and his ideas about Beethoven. And let's begin with just the first few bars of the Hymn of Thanksgiving.
Beethoven, in his mind at least, has just had a very near-death experience and he's a very religious man. I know a lot of musicians try to sort of paint Beethoven as this Eastern mystic, an agnostic, almost atheist. It doesn't bear any relevance to the facts. There are all sorts of people who always try and pick some historical figure and make them this sort of woke champion of 21st century values, which is just, you know, just because someone was really good at something or you admire them, it doesn't mean that they have to sort of share all of your values and opinions. The chances are they won't. And that's fine. We often assign moral virtue or excellence to other forms of excellence and nothing works like that in nature. But in any case, he's just had this near death experience. He's a very religious man. And so I think when we think of, of the music of the Catholic Church, we're thinking of plain chant, for sure. Renaissance polyphony. I remember I used to go to the Brompton Oratory when I lived in London and uh, I was lucky enough to get married there. And one of the reasons I kept going back after I left home was because of the beauty of the art and the music. Being able to walk from Brompton Road with all the traffic and all the rest of it straight into the oratory. It was always, always without fail, like you were going into another world, which was timeless and noble and reverent and austere and, and the art and the music and the way the silence in the church was punctuated with that beautiful music was a very inspirational thing and you know it's often with renaissance polyphony so beethoven starts this movement with uh, renaissance polyphony and using a scale system that hadn't been seen or excuse me hadn't been heard for hundreds of years and because it was basically exclusive to the church and so we start off with this very ancient sort of choral sound, which is very stripped down and, and simple because, you know, it's when we're close to death, it's time to meet your maker and there's no more excuses. You can't sort of get out of anything anymore. And all of your activities are stripped away to leave sort of the, the final result. And, and that's the way I sort of hear that, that opening passage. It's rather like what we're going through now. This is a global crisis that we're all going through and, and everyone's suddenly realizing that, that moral philosophy actually matters. <laughs> We're having this moral philosophy moment as a society, which is no, now not just in a classroom. What is essential? Like, do I matter? Is my life have any significance? That's what that whole passage to me is about. Like, what has the measure of my life been? Am I about to die? Where will I go? And have I done a, a good job? Well, well, we're all about to find out. And then you get the passage of sort of renewed strength, as he marks in German, finding new strength, uh, which is, I think, symbolic of his recovery. As well as that, personally, I hear a bit of nostalgia in it for things that could have worked out very well, or maybe happier times in his life. It's just superb Beethoven. Well, let's hear the moment when the Lydian hymn, Preoccupied with Suffering, is suddenly interrupted by the bubbling up of renewed strength. Thank you. 
What strikes me when I listen to that, apart from the fact that no composer since Beethoven has even come close to matching that level of inspiration in writing for string quartet, is the perfectly judged relationship between those two moods, the pain of the hymn and the hopefulness of the song, and the way the relationship develops, so that by the end, the hymn itself has been surprised by joy, if you like. The experience of being close to death and feeling that sort of sense of helplessness, but at the same time, hopefulness, that I think we're, we're sort of all attuned to right now, is what the piece is about. And that's why it, it returns back to that slow, almost mournful melody, which is then made positive by the finale, despite the fact that it's filled with struggle and sorrow. That final Adagio Molto, which was very emotional to play, actually, very moving music, especially given the, the context in which we're, we're playing it in, is so beautifully desperate at the same time as accepting of faith. Well, you talk about the circumstances. How did you come to be playing this music in the Parish of the Visitation in Kansas City? It was the very last music to be heard there just before public liturgies ceased because of the virus. Everything in Kansas City had basically been cancelled for the past 11 days and all of our engagements uh, that we had coming up were also suddenly wiped away and we were all a little pressed and sort of had nothing to do for the immediate future and, and then you doing this podcast and inviting us to record some music for you. Well actually when you heard about the podcast you volunteered out of the blue which was amazing. We just wanted to, to do something useful and to, to give ourselves meaning you know because so much of life is about finding meaning and having a purpose. I thought it would be the last chance for a while to do anything because of the sort of imminent lockdown which then happened. It really was perfect timing. At the time on the Saturday that we went and recorded it there was a the, the local bishop I think had, had put a limit and the city on gatherings of no more than five people. And being a string quartet, of course, we're one under the limit. So they did let us come and record in there during the hours in which the church was open for public prayer. So we just went in there and actually a couple of people came in and out. I'd say about seven or eight people came in in total for the time that we were there. We were there for just over two and a half hours and they all just stayed and, and started crying because it's very emotional music, especially with what's going on in the world right now. Well, we're also grateful to you and to Zolt and Ashley and Sasha, not just for a lovely gesture, but for a luminous performance of this astonishing piece of music. But I can't let you go without asking about your previous career, your former soccer player who represented Western Samoa in the 2010 FIFA World Cup qualifiers, played five matches for the country, scored two goals. I was wondering, did you think about Beethoven string quartets when you were playing football? I, no, I was actually thinking about Brahms at the time and that's what led to my retirement. I was studying at the Royal Academy of Music at the time. I was in my third year and I was playing all these football matches and I was constantly having to leave and get permission to go and play football. And people thought I had left or dropped out or something because the matches were in Western Samara. It was a 36-hour flight. But there was a seminal moment for me when I brought my violin along, obviously, and, and you know, in between training sessions in Samara, uh, I would have to find somewhere to practice. And I was learning to play the Brahms Violin Concerto for the first time and the only place I could practice was this sort of wooden shed, which they hung recently killed pigs to sort of, I guess, dry out or something. I mean, I, I don't know. So I was practicing the Brahmskin shed and I was just looking at this pig on a, a hook that was very dead. And I just thought, you know, I don't think this is the way it's supposed to be. Keith Stanfield, thank you so much. And I hope you'll listen to the whole song of Thanksgiving 
on our website, played by the Opus 76 String Quartet. It's music in which, to quote the great Beethoven scholar Maynard Solomon, the composer addressed the effects of depression, grief and mourning in people whom he deeply cared about, and he effectively provided them with consolation that words cannot achieve.